We are back, baby. We are back. That's we right. are back. You are looking live. We get after it. You know, we jabber jaw, we go tit for tat, we have our little differences. Let's get funky like a monkey. And here we go. Hello and welcome to the Moose and Runes podcast, wherever you are listening, however you're listening, laying on the couch, laying on the beach. We appreciate you. This is episode 14 of the Moose and Runes podcast. Joining me now, the one, the only, the incomparable, Matt the Cat Rooney. How's it going, Matter? Joe, you're speaking a little loudly for me. Okay. Am I coming in it a was, little hot? You're, you're, it was a long night for me last night. There's a lot of noise going on in my ears now. So you, you Rooney, need to just, just take it down a, a touch. The annual Rooney family bar crawl, I assume, was fifth, I, fifth annual. Fifth was annual. A it looks to be growing each and every year. Well, that's that's I, what uh, happens. I might I might add Rooney to the end of my name just to get that invite because it hey, looked like a blast. The, yeah, I don't know if you saw on, on Instagram we had the matching T-shirts. They looked fantastic. You can get one of those. Uh, did that come from Did that come from the same sketchy T-shirt provider? No, this this uh, Brian Brian gets these T-shirts. Okay, so so you guys we don't um, we we don't need permission for the logos for the Rooney family bar. Gotcha. The other ones are uh, these, these are homemade. You guys already got clearance on the family crest. So yes, that's a good. Yeah, that's, that's a good fine. Thing. The uh, yeah, baseball trip ones are. That's our guy. Very nice. Our, our sketchy t-shirt guy. Well, everybody, we are recording this full disclosure on a Sunday due to some travel plans of mine. We'll get into that more later. But uh, thanks for making time on this Sunday, Matt. Uh, some baseball underway right now as we're recording this. Some storylines from earlier on in the week. We're going to talk baseball. First things first, uh, the Cubbies. They're, I don't want to call it regressing to the mean, but not as hot of a week as that first week. Uh, some good ball games here against Milwaukee. Looking to take the series right now in Milwaukee. Going to be a big game today as we're talking. Yeah, you know, and th- I think part of that hot streak coming out of the gate was, I mean, they were swinging the bats well, pitching really well, but they weren't really playing anybody. I mean, St. Louis was probably the best team they faced in St. Louis. Yeah. We still don't know what they are. And they they, fa- they ran into a, a pretty good Brewers team this weekend and it's it's been back to you know being good baseball in a good series and th- those first two games have been a lot of fun to watch both close down to the wire and I don't know how much of this series you have got a chance to watch I've been watching a little bit of it but it looks like this is really becoming a divisional race and it's going to be that for the rest of the season I don't think I think this was a big weekend however today goes to show that the Brewers aren't going to just shirk away from this matchup I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to say the same thing. Going into this weekend series, I was more afraid that you know Milwaukee was after they were kind of tail spinning a little bit out of the break, going to just get run over, and then this race wouldn't be a race down the stretch, and then in, yeah, in I September mean, and October. If if the Cubs go in there and they stomp the Brewers by five six runs a game, then that could really be a shot to the ego there. That could be a shot to exactly. the clubhouse. They're a young team. Regardless if they take one or if they take two here in the rubber match. I think that this was uh, from the Milwaukee side a success to show that they could, you know, play a tough ball game, take it to the eleventh inning like they did last night. Yeah, exactly. They're saying we're not going anywhere, um, I, and I, I hope that's the case because this has been a fun, uh, fun division race to watch. And I think if the Brewers can stay in it, I don't think the Pirates are going to tail off too much, and that might be a three or four team race down down the stretch if the Cubs play more like they did this weekend and not that uh, that gangbusters they came out of the break like that. It might get over quickly, but. Yeah, and, and Matt, we talked about it a, a couple podcasts ago. Uh, we've touched on it a couple times. We talked about it with uh, with Cap when he was on the podcast. The leadoff from the leadoff production from the Cubs 
has really kicked up and it's coming by committee. So that might not be, uh, that might not be, you know, down your path. Cause you were saying you got to find that leadoff guy. Whereas I said, as long as you can get that production, uh, that's all you're looking for. They have been able to get that production consistently from a number of different guys. Yeah. Who was it? Hayward. Was he up there again last night? Yes, I believe he was. Hayward was up there again last night. He's been kind of that, uh, I think it's been Madden's kind of go-to leadoff man the last few games, at least. And Zobrus has been up there too. John Jay has had some time. So yeah, they're they're, they're doing it by committee up there. And I, I as of right now, was wrong. I'm not going to say uh, <laughs> at the end of the year I'm wrong. We'll, we'll see. You're not happens. putting it but, in stone yet. No, but right now, uh, that leadoff man by committee, that kind of lineup by committee, seems to be working, uh, clicking for them a little bit. Zobrus back getting hot has absolutely helped that too, because I know he slotted up there a couple times. And if he's hitting, that's a completely different different offense. It is. And, and Matt, coming down the stretch here, they might kind of shift more into your line of thinking and find a guy and kind of go with them in September, October. Who's your guy? If you're Joe Madden, who are you going to trot out there in October as your leadoff hitter? I want it to be Ben Zobrist. Uh, granted, so? he's, he's got a – he can't be hitting 220. Um, mm-hmm. He's got to get that average up, and it's been starting to climb up since the break. But Ben Zobrist makes such good contact. He's a veteran. He's been up there before. He doesn't have – you know, he's not a great – uh, speed talent on the face pass, but he's not mm-hmm. slow. He can get on base. He can move a little bit, and he's he's just a veteran presence who's been there before. He he can hit at the really any spot in the order, but he makes good contact, has power. Uh, I think he's your ideal leadoff hitter if he's bumping that average up from two twenty. Yeah, and it seems like none of these guys are the full package at the leadoff position. Like you say, uh, Zobris leaves something to be desired in terms of base running and, and speed. Hayward's got the power in that one hole, so when the when the lineup turns over in that second and third time around. You got base runners on. He's a little bit more beneficial in that aspect. So I think that's part of the reason why this leadoff by committee is working because each one of these guys does bring a little bit something to that position. They offer a little something different. Yeah, I agree. They, Like you said, they, they all together make one complete great hitter, I guess, but you're, you're seeing bits and pieces of, of different things each do well at the top of the order and they like like a lot last year, Joe Madden seems to be pushing the right buttons at the right time up there and that clearly clicking for him out of the break. Uh, while, while it might not be clear who is going to be the leadoff hitter, it's clear that Kyle Schwarber has made his return. He's been playing outstanding baseball for 10, 15 games now. And he really, after being called up from that little stint down low, we were saying, you know, the call-up might have come a little quick. Let him sit there through the All-Star break it seems like he's really found his footing again here in this Cubs lineup. Yeah, you know, it, it seemed like he went down there, you know, cleared his head a little bit. Uh, seems like he's really worked on that swing, too. I said from everything I've read, heard him talk about, he tried to shorten up the swing a bit, a little bit, felt like it was getting long in the first half. And it, this, the swing does look better. Uh, it looks a little bit shorter. looks like he's making better contact, obviously. Now he's not striking out as much. And the average isn't quite there, but batting average from Kyle Schwarber is a little bit of an overrated stat. I think his OPS yeah, is up around eight or 900 which okay. is exactly what you want from him. And, and yeah, he, he's getting hits with base, with people on base, and, and that's why he's here. That's why he's here to hit fifth, and you don't really care if he's hitting 220 or 280. It doesn't really matter for him as long as he's producing and driving in runs. Hey, to, to zoom out a little bit here and look at it you know, from what we were saying just a month ago about is Schwarber okay? Is this ever going to be the same? Is he ever going to hit another one on top of the Budweiser sign? It's so interesting to look at 
the perspective that everyone has now about this Cubs team. They won a championship, yes, and now there is expectation, but I don't think that expectation is just on the team. The expectation for everyone rises. For individual players, you expect them to keep playing at that level that they did during a championship season where that's not realistic. And and to ask that of a Kyle Schwarber, to, to ask him to not go into a slump ever again is just unrealistic. So I think that's something that... Um, this last month or so has really brought to light in terms of the expectations that we put on individual players as well as the team as a whole. Yeah, I mean, again, it's been brought up a couple times, but a lot of times people seem to forget this really is Kyle Schwarber's first full season in the majors. I know he came up and looked like a seasoned veteran in the World Series last year, that rookie year when he spent about half the year up here, he looked really good, but he was out all of last season. This is really his first time experience, you know, with the ups and downs of a major league season, working through a slump. And he took a little bit longer to get through that slump than I think a lot of people would have liked. Um, but I think this is more of the Kyle Schwarber that we're going to be seeing from here on out, and not the one that you know was hitting 170 in the first half and, and couldn't do anything but strike out or hit a ball over the fence. Yeah, and it's just, you know, he didn't have, like you said, that experience of the lows. He was nothing but highs. He was in the honeymoon phase. And, uh, you know, marriage takes work, <laughs> is what I'm told. So there's going to be those rough patches. And it's just a matter of getting him going in the right direction. It seems like he is right now. Yeah, he seems to be finding his stroke. And, and again, I think this is probably more of what we're going to be seeing down the road here with Kyle Schwarber. And I, I don't know whether once the offseason comes around, if that still makes him, you know, untouchable like, like you know, Cubs <laughs> people like to used to, you know, say he was. Uh, if this is Kyle Schwarber, I still think he might be your best option to go get another elite arm like a Jose Quintana in the offseason. I'm not terribly certain who that is right now. Maybe it is Michael Fulmer from Detroit. I know that was one of the rumors, but that that could be the, the moving piece. Yeah, and uh, well, while we're on the topic of expectation, how about having none on the south <laughs> side? Things, uh, things are in full rebuild mode, and just uh, I think it was about an hour ago, yep. uh, word comes down that Melky Cabrera is heading to Kansas City. Uh, when you look at this trade, um, Matt, I, I don't know much about about the return on him, but he's a guy who is not going to be under contract beyond this year. You had to get something for him, and they go to Kansas City, get a couple prospects, a couple arms. Do you like the move? Yeah, I mean, there's literally no point to have him on the team past you know, yeah. the waiver deadline. Um, At got, least get I something. I think they got a pitcher who, I didn't read much of his, his stuff yet. I, like you said, it only happened about an hour ago, but... Um, is I think the thirteenth prospect in the Royal system. It's another arm that you can you know hope maybe comes up and does something. If not, you're no worse off for it. Um, I'm just gonna miss Melky, man. I love Melky. He was That's... so much fun in that lineup. He didn't really care how bad they were. He just went out and played baseball. He's he's, he's a true pros pro. Uh, he seemed to be very well liked in that locker room, and I'm gonna miss that guy. I, I've really, I've really not had that feeling about many guys on on the White Sox roster. Chris Sale aside, uh, he was. It's such a shame that guys like Chris Sale and guys like Melky never got a chance to play on a White Sox team that got to compete because those are the type of guys that galvanize teams that that young players really are attracted to that they that they glean off of. These are, as you said, that that kind of coach speak. But he's a pros pro. He's a he's a clubhouse guy. Everyone loved to be around him. And I just wish we would have got to watch him play on a White Sox team that was competitive. Yeah, I think if he would have been, uh, granted that you could say last year's team was competitive for a little bit, I think it was mm-hmm. a month or two, but had this team you know, made a run at the playoffs, made a run at a division, Melky I think would have been a fan favorite, not just among Sox fans, just a fan favorite in the city of Chicago. He was so well, he, like, 
so easily likable. Uh, he he was productive at the top of the order. Played good uh, played good defense out left field. Not great, but he was fine out there. And he was just was a fun guy to watch play. He clearly loved being out there and loved playing baseball. And he, he seemed to have a little bit of a personality to him too. And I think that that goes a long way, especially in Chicago. Chicago is just a place that I've always been intrigued by. It's home, but at the same time, everyone's got a personality. Everyone's different. And and the people that represent us, our Bears, our Hawks, our, our White Sox and our Cubs, we always are drawn to those guys who are the big, not only the big names, but the big personalities. We've been lucky enough to have... Uh, We've been lucky enough to have the Patrick Kane to our Jonathan Taze. We've been lucky enough to have the Lance Briggs to our Brian Urlacher. You know, there's the there's the workman type guys, and then there's the guys who really make things fun. And Melky was one of those one of those guys who made things fun. Yeah, I don't think there's granted. This is the only city I've ever lived in, but I, there doesn't seem to be a city that values that personality along with the talent as much as Chicago does. Those guys seem to be just so well loved here and so captivating to to the mm-hmm. city here it's, it's like you said it's, it's a personality town man like, we've, we've been lucky too to have those guys like Briggs and Kane but Melky could have been one of those guys had this team yeah. been good they just god they're terrible just didn't have the pieces around them well <laughs> let's spin it positive here they are terrible but uh Yohan Mankata just just checking checking off boxes on the career first list got the career first career home run against the Cubbies uh he had an RBI double the other night he he looks to be the real deal, man. Yeah, I mean the average isn't up there yet. I mean, it, it technically you can't in a expect slump, it to but be. You, no one's expecting him to come up here and hit you know three hundred or whatever it was right out of the gate. Rizzo first struggled when he came up on on the north side, and he was kind of the first guy up in their rebuild. Not everyone's going to be you know Chris Bryant, Ian Happ, you know Kyle Schwarber coming up into the middle of an already you know being a top prospect coming into the middle of an already loaded lineup and you know, be protected a little bit. Moncada's yeah. not really protected by anybody here. He's just kind of being thrown in the fire in an awful lineup by without anybody, you know, but a Bray in there to help him out. And I, I completely agree. You can't look for that type of consistency in production. We just gotta keep an eye on growth and you wanna see him continue to grow and and continue to, you know, assimilate to the professional game. He's never seen pitching like this. He's never had this type of workload. But one thing that strikes me with him, I saw a picture of him signing autographs. He looks like a baseball player. Oh, he, he looks is, the part. He has already got tree trunks for legs. He's a monster. He, he's a big dude. He's not lanky. He's not long. Uh, yesterday, he made a play on the other side of the bag from second base on the shortstop side of the bag and flipped that ball under his body all the way to first. And I, it was rare, rare arm strength moving away from the bag. He's doing things that are really encouraging at an early stage of his call-up. Yeah, he, he's got a he's got a great arm in the field. Like you said, he's got a great glove too. Making uh, I, I just saw that highlight about uh, an hour before we started talking this morning. How, how he got to that ball and how he made that throw underneath his body was just mind-boggling. But he's doing a lot of the little things right that you like to see from these call-ups. Like you said, he's playing great defense. He clearly runs the bases incredibly well. Um, that he, hair too. He's got fantastic hair. But fantastic we'll get, we'll, we'll, hair. <laughs> Like like a great personality, Joe. This city loves a great head of hair. We do. But, Put uh, him on the Mount Rushmore of hair right now. Are those? I want to say that those are highlights too. Questionable, but you keep playing well, and we're good. Hey, I'm not judging. We love but, a good know, highlight. The, the thing, the thing that's encouraging to me about him at the plate is, Grant, he's not hitting yet, but he's making solid contact. He's hitting the ball hard, and he has a great eye up there. I mean, Tim Anderson, yeah. is a, was you know their top prospect call up last year, and, and he's doing all right, but you still see him waving at just about anything in the dirt. You see guys like Javi Baez come up. 
can't lay off sliders in the dirt, whatever. Mankata has a very conservative, safe, and smart approach at the plate. He's not just waving at things. He clearly has a strategic plan up there. He's able to lay off those pitches, which is nice to see from a young kid coming up who's got all this potential. Yeah, kind of a veteran plate approach for a young guy. Matt, I have a blank White Sox jersey that I've been waiting for someone to get excited about, and, and I really think I'm going to send it out and get that 1-0 slapped on the back of it. Well, why haven't you just put 56 on the back of it? I, I, that's a good point, but I don't want to get nostalgic. Early. I it's get early. I, I get misty eyed then, and can we just turn this into an 05 White Sox tribute podcast? I mean, I think we'd lose some some listeners, but uh, probably. But I'd be I'd be happy to do a, a spinoff podcast with you, and we can call it "Don't Stop Believing" still, or something like it. that. I love it's it. a work it's a work in progress. <laughs> it's a working title, Matt. Um, you know, we are a Chicago podcast here, but give me a storyline outside of Chicago that you're excited to keep an eye on from now until November. I, I want to keep an eye on the AL East. Um, mm-hmm. I was always one of these guys in the past who I hated how the AL East and the Yankees and the Red Sox were kind of glorified by ESPN and all the you know the bigger media outlets to be seen made better. But the, the best couple of years when those teams have been not down, but the, the Yankees were down. The Red Sox weren't necessarily down, but they haven't kind of been themselves. Mm-hmm. Baseball's better and more entertaining when those two are up and competing with each other because when they're when they're really good, there's nothing like having that either team to root against or that team like the Red Sox or Yankees if you root for one of them. That, that rivalry is the most fun in baseball to watch. Those, yeah, those are great good, internal internal rivalries. It, it's, it's just good for baseball when those te- at least one, if not both of those teams, are in the playoffs and really good. So I'm hoping that those two can make a playoff run and, and we can see both of them and, and see teams like the Indians or the Royals go up against those guys. Yeah, and you talk about the Indians. I'm going to have my eye still on the Central, uh, AL Central. It's... It's turning into another great race. Over the last two weeks, Kansas City, I know they lost last night against the Red Sox. Prior to that, they had 10 straight wins. Pardon me. 10? Yeah, I think it was 10 straight wins. I think you're right, yeah. During that time, Cleveland had eight straight. So they're just trading blows right now. Cleveland's on a nine-game win streak, still three clear at Kansas City. Uh, They love the Royals here in Lincoln, so we get those highlights on, and I've been watching it. Mike Moustakis is having a career year. He's the fastest Royal to 30 home runs. Just three behind Aaron Judge right now, doing everything he can at the plate to keep the Royals relevant. And to compare them to the team they were three months ago, even two months ago, this Royals team has really come into their own. Yeah, they're a team who I, I wondered why they were doing so poorly out of you know out of the gate. And I just think it was kind of a little bit of a collective slump from just about everybody. Um you touched on Mike Moustakas. He's absolutely killing the ball. He's a guy who, if he is on one of those you know, Red Sox or Yankees team, he's getting MVP consideration most likely. But I've always been astounded about how this Royals pitching does it. You look at that rotation, and there's really no no name in there that you see, wow, that's an ace. That's my kind of go-to guy that I, I feel, you know, if I throw him out there every five days, I know we're getting a win. And they've, they've never really seemed to have that, and that's always – Even on the World Series – even on their World Series rosters, they were one of the few teams in the last couple of decades that have gotten it done with really uh, pitching by committee. There was no, as you said, no name, no ace, and and they still found a way to get to the World Series. Yeah, and even their bullpen. I mean, when they won that World Series, they had, what, Herrera and Davis, and I know I'm blanking on somebody else, but they yeah. had that, that elite bullpen. They don't really even have much of that anymore, but they're... Yeah. Uh, Somehow doing it, they're playing great baseball, and that that AL Central race. I've been waiting for Cleveland to start to heat up too. It starts to 
seems like that's starting to happen. Nothing like a, a series with the White Sox to do that for you. But <laughs> Get uh, everyone going on the right they're track. They're starting to look good down the stretch. Melky, I think, is actually going to be a really, really nice addition for KC because he's hit – I saw some stats floating around on Twitter today. He's hitting really, really well against Cleveland in his career, and especially Corey Kluber. He's hitting something like career-wise 420 off Kluber. Hmm. So that's – a strategic little addition there for the Royals to have a you know utility outfielder and just play just about anywhere out in the outfield and fit any, anywhere in your lineup and hopefully help them down the stretch too. That's some good stuff, Matt. I know we've touched on it in the past, uh, just the popularity of baseball and the storylines and things that we used to celebrate. We got a guy, as we're recording this, on career hit 2,999, and I haven't heard many people say Adrian Beltre's name. Yeah, it's it's like what we talked about with Pujols in a 600. It just seems to be. I granted, 300 to 3,000 hits probably isn't quite. What, what would you say? What would you? They made a movie about it. Mister 3000 was an outstanding no, film I, I, with I, I, Bernie I, I, Mac. I, no, I love that movie. <laughs> That's a great I, movie. Uh, with T Rex Pennebaker, he, he, dude was stunned. <laughs> the whole uh, run no, was, yeah. what, what in your eyes? What's the bigger accomplishment? 3,000 hits or 600 homers? I think that's oh. a pretty. Those are pretty comparable. But yeah, I you think, don't have to answer that right away. You can think on it, and I'll talk where I'm going where I, I am here. We we talked about you know Pujols' 600 kind of getting swept under the rug too, mm-hmm. and it just it it doesn't make sense. It's not like these things happen every day. This is an incredibly elite accomplishment that not many have done before, and baseball's looking for these faces. And granted, Beltre and Pujols are a little bit old, but Beltre's got the personality to be one of the faces of baseball. He's old, but he's not retiring yet. I mean, he just had that funny exchange with I, I was going to say who decided to boot him for having some fun out there. You but, know that he can give you your thirty-second Instagram clip too. He's hilarious. He's always yeah. he's always messing around with his teammates. Doesn't like his head touched. He's a guy who you can capitalize on. Joe, you strike me as a guy who doesn't like to have your head touched, do you? No, I, I, I if if I give the green light, you can run your hands through. It's a thick head of hair, Matt. Thank God. That's an award-winning head of hair. Oh, yeah, let's not. You know, I don't like to. I don't like to bring up the awards and everything. But, Joe, uh, you had like a ten-minute segment on it when you won the award. You're right, and let's leave it there. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's, gotta, it's, a, it's an accomplishment. Like you said, it's just yeah. getting swept under the rug, and it's it's weird. And to kind of go down that road, to answer your question, I really do think that three thousand hits might just edge out six hundred home runs because it 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 opens up the pool to a lot more players. There are a lot of guys. Not a lot of guys, but there's a pool of guys who are home run hitters that might never see that 3,000 hit pool. Yeah. But there are a lot of guys that, you know, are hitters for averages. Your Derek Jeters, you, you know, your guys that have been consistent for decades at a time to get to that 300 mark that might never even sniff the 600 home run mark. Yeah, that's fair. I'd probably go with 3,000, just a little bit over 600. But that, that's a good question. That should have, should have made that a mailbag question, Joe. <laughs> I, sh- I well, should Matt- have read my own tweet. As a mailbag Matt, question. we are uh, we're gonna transition here, and I'm gonna let you uh, I'm gonna let you take us into this one. Uh, talk talk bears to me because it's uh, it's already shaping up to be frustrating. I, every time my phone vibrates, I, I wonder if it's a text from you or from someone else, or if it's uh, another another update from ESPN telling me that a another Bears player is in the hospital for this, that, and the other. Yeah, that Pernell McPhee news was not. Uh, not fun to get. I think it was what Friday was it when it came out, but that was especially because it's his other knee that he had the scope on. Not good. Starting out on the pup list. That that's really. I mean, Marcus Wheaton having an appendectomy, whatever. That's that's doesn't. He's going to be back in a couple of days. I mean, they, they seem relatively healthy, but then you get that McPhee news, and that one scares me a lot because he was already banged up his first year here. I think he played like 10, 11 games, and then instead, of, I think it was 
even the first year, so last year he didn't go on the pup or he didn't go on the, the uh, IR at the end of the year when he probably should have decided to fight through the last two or three games with a knee injury when they sucked. And he kind of hasn't been the same since. Uh, hasn't been able to stay healthy or stay on the field. I, I'm very, very worried about that one. My question is, why does it take till 24 hours before camp for him to get this knee checked out? That's another good question. I, I don't really like, know. Why when, is, this not, is that when they have their physicals? I mean, I, that, I, don't, I honestly well, don't know. But you'd think if you're, as a, as a professional athlete, you have to have a supreme understanding of your vehicle, of your body. You know, when you wake up in the morning, you got a tight lower back, or if something's nagging you, or if you got a, if you had a neck injury how your neck feels and if you're going to be having migraines, you know that if you've had knee issues, what a knee issue feels like. If you're Pernell McPhee and it hurts to walk up and down stairs, get that checked out well before this so we can scope you, clean you up, and get you back on the field in an expedited fashion. Like this this needs to have happened two months ago. Yeah, I'm with you. I actually, dang, I hadn't really thought of that concept yet but you're right i mean if it may, unless it just happened in a workout you know a day or two ago I, which i it hasn't been reported that's what happened yeah. it just seems like this has been nagging him uh not sure why he took so long to, to get this taken care of but hopefully he's all right hopefully that scope just kind of took care of everything and it's all cleaned out i don't think it is i'm, I'm very worried that he's gonna start the year on the pup list and you know miss two months or whatever the hell it is but yeah and hopefully then good we can get him back good luck coming back into the fold and, and hitting the ground running because that really never is the case for no. guys that miss the, the beginning of the season. If, if you get injured, uh, you know, let's say week two, week three, and you come back later in the season, sometimes it's easier to slide in. But when your season is starting in week six, you're in trouble. Yeah, we talked about the, uh, the Bears needing to stay healthy to have any shot this year if that front seven was going to live up to its potential. And this is certainly a knock on that. Yeah. Um, Matt, what do you make of, I might be making something out of nothing here, but what do you make of uh, Victor Cruz's comments earlier on in the week about being on Coughlin time, being early to things? Because to me, that struck me as, you know, you're supposed to be on that time. That's professional time. You know, it's, it's, if you're five minutes early, you're 10 minutes late. Is that Lombardi time or something like that? That's Esch time. That's Esch time. Does this, does this speak to kind of the, the climate in Hallis Hall right now that guys aren't on time or they're just showing up right when they need to? You know, maybe it is. Um, it's Cruz's first camp, so I'm not sure um, if maybe he's just not – he's used to a different system like he you know, had in New York, like you said, Coughlin time. Maybe things are a little bit just more relaxed here. Uh, but with John Fox, I'm not – if it was if – if this was, you know, a Tressman thing, like people were saying, you know, nobody's showing up on time, nobody's caring, all that stuff – with a coach like Tressman in there, I think I'd be worried. But with a pro coach like John Fox, who's had success not here but elsewhere, I, I think he strikes me as a guy who's kind of done the same thing throughout mm-hmm. his time. And it, it, if that's how he operates, that's how he operates. Yeah, I was always under the you know five minutes early, always type thing. But if that's not the way he he runs his team, that that's okay. He's he's had success, and it, like I said, it hasn't been here, but he's been successful doing this. So that that doesn't really bother me too much. It's just something new for Victor Cruz. Punctuality is big with me. So if you got so. guys, if you got guys that start showing up late to things, that that's a that's a contagious um, that's a contagious thing that you don't want anywhere near your team. You know they say they say better late than never, but never late is better. Matt, write that down. So you wanted to talk about Trubisky, right? That was that was next. I think <laughs> no, I, think I mean I, next on there. Aside from his three fumbles the other day, which it's going to happen. You're getting used to new centers. You're getting used to a new system. You don't like to see that type of thing, but. All signs are pointing to that 
He's keeping his mouth shut. He's learning, and, and he's just trying to be a sponge right now. And that's what you want from a rookie quarterback. You can't put too much stock in anything that he does physically at this point. I just want him to have a really deep understanding of this offense before he goes anywhere near the field. I'm going to be honest with you. I thought you were going to go full, you know, full meatball, no, coming here, guns blazing. Oh, trade you don't, him. He's you don't, done. He you don't want the ball. Snap, Joe. He's done. Get him off the team. You don't want the ball on the ground at any time, and I hate that that was even a storyline. Maybe he fumbles two. It's not, but a third one, yeah, you can get a headline out of it. But I, I don't put too much into that. He's getting used to new guys. and um, He's never really gone under center before either. He's always been a shotgun quarterback in college. Exactly. This, so that's, this stuff that's, is going to happen. That's why he's growing, not starting Those are growing yet. pains. Yeah. So I, I, yeah. that, that that's people try to seem to, to make a pretty big deal out of. I don't think I'm worried about that in the least. But like you said, by all reports of practice, he's doing all the right things. Sanchez and Glennon are all saying he's doing the right things. And, and the one thing that's very encouraging is his physical performance in camp. And again, it's just camp, so we don't, you don't really know what you have until he's on the field. But he seems to be incredibly accurate, which mm-hmm. is, that's, you know, that's it for pros. That's what makes great quarterbacks. So you don't need the strongest arm in the world. You just have to have pinpoint accuracy. And from reports so far, he's looked very accurate in practice, which is an encouraging sign, I think, for a quarterback. As, as we said with Mancata and, and these young guys, growth. That's all we're looking for right yeah. now. I don't expect a Super Bowl out of the Bears this year. I don't expect the World Series out of the White Sox in the next couple of years. I just want to see growth. Move in the right direction. That's all I ask. Joe, I always think the Bears are going to win the Super Bowl. Uh, well, that's where you and I, uh, you and I depart. Matt, I, I feel know, like only you were... plus 2,500 to win the, the NFC North, I think. I think I could And there's a reason for that, Yeah, but Matt. what if they won it, Joe? Well, then you then make I'd a lot of money. I, maybe, maybe, be... maybe I'll bet it. <laughs> Uh, well, you're rich in spirit, Matt. That's Thanks. that's all that counts. That's, that's, I that feel means like, a lot coming from you. I feel like you were trying to almost pull a grievance out of me there with Trubisky. I, I don't have one there, <laughs> but uh, but I do have something else. All right, hit it. The tradition of Festivus begins with the airing of grievances. I got a lot of problems with you people. Now you're going to hear about it. You can't handle the truth. Boy, have you lost your mind, because I'll help you find it. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Matt, I'm going to make a promise to you that this is... eh, I don't know if I can make the promise, but I'm going to promise to you that I'm going to try to never say his name again. And I know it's not going to be true, and I know it's not going to be easy, but... um, LeVar Ball is back in the news, and I know we've had grievances about him in the past, but it's getting to a point where um, LeVar Ball, the coach, is becoming a problem. We saw him pull guys off the court a couple weeks ago. Uh, A couple days ago, he has a referee removed from a game. And now this guy is becoming bigger than the shoes he stands in, and it's not okay. And my grievance is not with LeVar Ball. It's with the media at this point. We need to let this man go. So what I'm going to do is for the Moose and Runes podcast is we're going to institute a LeVar Ball jar. Anytime that either one of us says LeVar Ball, it's $5 into the LeVar Ball jar. And at the end of the year, we'll find, a, 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 we'll find somewhere a, a, an organization, a charity that we want to donate the jar to. But there's going to be a LeVar Ball jar. And if we have to say it, then we're going to fill that jar up, Matt. But I really think the media needs to get away from this guy because we've given him the power now to where he feels like he is all-knowing. He feels like he can have a ref removed from a game. And shame on Adidas, the people that ran that tournament, that removed that ref from the game. I don't know if everyone knows the story, but LeVar didn't like a call, 
he had a referee removed from the game, a female referee, and she appeared to be very shook up. Now, she's an NCAA ref. This wasn't someone who was just there to, you know, get some tick and run up and on the court. And he's borderline sexist in these things. And I don't like to get too far away from these sports narratives. But when you say that, that a ref isn't fit enough to get up and down the court, then you're starting to get, uh, you're starting to toe the line of what's appropriate and not appropriate. I think the media has a responsibility to let this guy fade a little bit. Because when we look back on the summer of 2017, it's going to be highlighted by two things, LeVar Ball and fidget spinners. And I really hope both of those go away sometime very, very soon. Well, since this is the airing of grievances and you just called out fidget spinners, um, uh-huh. I did, I've, I've used one uh, for the first time a couple weeks ago. Uh, that's I actually what you took, like that's it. what you took from my grievance was fidget no, I spinners. Just, I wanted to bring that up, but no, I, I'm totally with you. I was on yesterday and Friday, whatever I was on ESPN.com and the first headline they had on that, you know, the right side of the page where they have all the articles, article number one was, you know, LeVar Ball, whatever in an AAU game. And it's, it's, it's one thing. If he's saying stupid stuff about his kid, you know, in the NBA draft, and you know they're actually covering the NBA or something, this is covering Levar Levar Ball's AAU team. I yeah, just this... I don't get it. You, like you said, you're giving this guy so much more power than he deserves or needs or should anybody should want. I don't know why he needs. We need to give him this attention. It's it's because it's if, dumbfounding to me. If you don't have the cameras in front of his face, he's powerless. And I've said it before. LeVar Ball, the marketer, LeVar Ball, the father, seems to be sound, you know? He's, he's raised three young men who seem to have their heads on straight and are great athletes. He's trying to make money. He's trying to do things differently. All right, make your paper, do whatever you need to do. But when you start towing the line of inappropriateness the way he is and the way he has been these last couple of weeks, it's time we walk away from him. It's time we disarm him of this power and just shift the focus to his sons. And, and specifically, the one that's a professional. Because nothing that LeVar Ball does seems professional to me. No, it's, it made sense, like you said, when we were talking about his kids. And, and that was the, the NBA and Lonzo was a storyline. But now that that's all in the background, there's no need for this guy to be in the news or headlines. I don't know why people think or want to know what he's doing with his AAU team or what he's... I mean, he's, he's seems to be trying to one-up himself in stupidity and obnoxiousness to keep his name in the news. And like you said, we have to just stop acknowledging his existence right now. Yeah. Well, okay, Matt, from this point on, starting now, or starting after I say it one more time, LeVar Balljar, are you on board with it? So we have, now just trying to get my, my our, our rules here so far, we have the LeVar Balljar, and uh-huh. we can't say uh, the GOT show. Remember, remember those two uh, words? We can't that, say those yes. within seven? I think we can. I think we get our Game of Thrones pass. I wow, think we get we a Game of Thrones pass. We should, you I'm should, say you should have cleared that we have not abolished the rule before you broke it. But until that's fine. we start, until we start getting hate mail, then I say we're clear on Game of Thrones. Just no Lavar Ball. Deal. I can do that. All right. Starting now, Matt. You want to do a little uh, buy or sell? Sure. Why don't you start us off, Joe? Okay. Uh, one headline that I really was interested in because love the guy, love the position, obviously, but. Odell Beckham Jr. coming out this week saying he deserves to be the highest paid player in the league. Buy or sell, Odell should have the most paper. Sell. Um, the most important position in football is a quarterback. Quarterbacks should be the highest paid players in football. Um, I, don't, I don't mean to sound simple or short, but that's 
just kind of it for me. And this is coming from an offensive lineman who doesn't like quarterbacks. Yeah, uh, but I think the most important people in an offense and on a football team are the guy who throws the ball and the guy who protects the blind side of the guy who throws the ball. And I think those, while the tackle will never be the highest paid position in football, I think it's got to be your quarterback. He's he's unless you don't have an elite one, um, they shouldn't be elitely paid. But the highest paid player in football should be an elite quarterback. And I think Derek Carr is probably the right guy to be that right now. Yeah, but I, you're going to disagree, so I want to hear why. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm going to disagree because the more I've thought, I, I used to really be of that same thinking. But the more I've thought about it, if you apply that to another sport, and I know it gets a little fringe, but uh, there are guys on baseball diamonds making more money than some pitchers, position players. There are guys that that really do deserve those checks. And if you look at it from a production standpoint, back on the football side, Odell made up more than a third of the Giants' offense last year. If you remove Odell. They're nothing. Their offense essentially last year was throw the ball to Odell and let, let, let's see what he can do yards after catch. And I think that you have to look at a player's value from their production. I understand if Eli is not there, it's just, a, just as big of an issue. But if a guy's making up a third of your total production as a team, I think you should hear him out. I, I think that we've become a little bit too beholden to this you get paid by your position idea because there's a lot of quarterbacks making more money than they should. Mike Lennon, there's a lot of quarterbacks making more money than they should across the league. And it's all because of, I want to say that first contract, which was Joe Flacco after he got them to the Super Bowl and they paid him out of the ears. And from that point, we've seen an uptick in quarterback salaries much faster than every single other positions uptick. And I think that Odell has a point here that, if you want me to be the face of the team, if you want me to continue to produce at this level, compensate me at that same level. And that's I'm, why I think we should hear him out on this. I'm not I'll, – I'll go back. I know I was short and I was very definitive in what I said. I think he deserves to be heard out. I, I wouldn't just laugh him off at a you know, negotiation table and say, no, you're wrong. Um, I, I think he should probably be the highest paid player on that team, and I don't think it should be very close. I think he should be the highest paid, paid receiver in the NFL because I think he's the best. I just don't think he should be the highest paid football player in the NFL. I just I know he's incredibly valuable at the Giants do. I don't think he's more valuable in the league than I mean you want to talk about value to an offense. Look what happened to the Raiders last year when Derek Carr broke his leg in the playoffs. Absolutely. So I Absolutely. I, I think quarterback elite quarterbacks, not you know, Mike Glennon doesn't deserve to be paid more than Odell Beckham, but elite quarterbacks I still think are the most important players in football and should be compensated that way. Because there is such an importance at that, but it's all about how you want to build your team. Look at that Broncos Super Bowl team. Peyton Manning couldn't lift his arms above his shoulders. That defense won that Super Bowl. The Bears team that got to the Super Bowl, that was a defense. Don't you take uh, a shot the, at Rex Grossman. The Rex Grossman was terrible. That was Kyle Orton's team, first of all. Don't you take a shot um, at Rex. <laughs> but think about some of these championship teams. Obviously, the Patriots are a completely different story. But the Ravens' defense, Flacco throws a great spiral. Is he elite? Let's not get into the conversation. But I also think we're putting too much value on the quarterback position. It's all about how you want to build your team. Hey, that's fair. But you know what? The one thing in common that all those teams had that you just said, the way they built their teams, you know, the, the one thing they all did great? Defense. Exactly. How many times have you seen a, Exactly. So they paid their defense. When was the last time a team won a Super Bowl and said, you know why they won that Super Bowl? They had a great wide receiver. That really yeah. took them down the stretch and won them a Super Bowl. No, it's they paid a group of players on their defense. Mm-hmm. That's not a good point. Made a single playmaker on the outside the most 
you know, highest paid player in football. Yeah, and, and, and I'm essentially, sure. essentially ruin their salary cap situation to, to pay him as such. That's all, that's all it does. We saw how Flacco's contract did handcuff the Raiders there these last few years. Hmm. And I'm sure we'll see in the next few years as teams do build out these defense. I don't know when he's due for it, but Khalil Mack could be a $20 million guy. you got yeah. other guys that like these defensive players that really should be hauling that same money. And until the cap changes, I don't think we'll see many changes in that vein. I, I, I'm with you, but let's move on. I don't want to keep going at the going going on with this one. Go get your money, Odell. Go I, get your money. He deserves a lot of money, just not the most <laughs> in the league. All right, hit me, Matt. Uh, okay. Um, last night, I believe it was right. John Jones beat uh, Daniel Cormier, and then nice kick to the face. Yep, swift kick to the jaw. Uh, <laughs> he he then called out Brock Lesnar uh, in the middle of the ring that that. Murmurings about that fight being something uh, over the last week or so, but Jones made his intentions very clear last night. Mm-hmm. Joe, Joe, you buying or selling this fight? Do you think it's going to happen? I mean, I'll sell it just because I'm not the biggest MMA fan. If I'm buying or selling, if it's going to happen, buy it because the MMA doesn't have a lot of recognizable names. John Bones Jones, Brock Lesnar are two of maybe five or six guys that we know their names. You got your Conor McGregor, but he's a boxer right now. You've got uh, Daniel Cormier, who by all means, career might have ended last night. Um, can you name me a couple other guys? Because if not, I'll buy it just on the fact that it's a marketable fight. Now, it's going to look like a sideshow because you got Brock Lesnar, who's 300 pounds, going up against a light heavyweight. So um, it, it's going to have its, its draw. But Brock Lesnar's always kind of been a sideshow in the sport anyway. He never was that uh, true mixed martial artist that these other guys are. So... I guess I'm on the board uh, between buy or sell, but I'll buy it just because it is a marketable fight. Plus, not, not enough people are talking about this, but, but Brock's kind of got his hands full in the WWE, Joe. He's, he's the current WWE champion. He's, he's defending his title in a fatal four-way at SummerSlam in August. So he's got a lot on his plate right now. I'm not sure he should be overlooking that. Matt, I'm going to have to take your word for that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I couldn't um, that. But, uh, yeah, a great fight <laughs> last night. Uh, I did catch just the highlights of it. I didn't watch it live, but um, those are uh, – I hope it it's happens. Good. I'd love to see it's, Brock in the octagon. I, he's fun to watch. Well, it's good. To, what I was going to say is it's good to see the MMA maintaining while their marquee guy is off doing something else. Yeah. Uh, Dana White with, with, with a full plate right now. He's, he's definitely got a full plate and a lot to worry about with that Mayweather-McGregor Mayweather stuff. But. As I said with uh, Odell, make your money, Dana. That's a rich, There's rich someone man. who knows how to make his money. It's Dana. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, we're going to move on here, Matt. Buy or sell. J-Lo and A-Rod. It seems that uh, uh, J-Lo might have met her match here. She seems quite smitten over the uh, the former New York Yankee, Texas Ranger, now uh, polished broadcaster. What do you think of, of, of the new It couple? What's it, my, my question of, what, do they have their name yet? Is it uh, A-Lo or J-Rod? Both of them work. I like J-Rod. I, I, I kind of like A-Lo. Alo, we know an Alo though. That's kind of I used to call Lopez Alo every once in a while. So oh, I think yeah, that's I why. That. Okay, well that's that, that, that name's chicken. It's got to be J Rod. Uh, I'll, yeah. I'll buy the couple. They seem entertaining and fun enough to watch. I'm a fan of both of them. Talk um, about two beautiful forty-something-year-olds. They really are. They're <laughs> they're doing it right. They seem to be beating time at the moment. I don't think they'll they'll win that J- in the long run. But for now, they're they're J Lo's forty-eight. Don't call. Don't count her out. I never will, Joe. That's a beautiful forty-eight. <laughs> I I, I I struggle to think of a more beautiful one, Joe. All right, so so we're buying on J Lo and A Rod. Gotta buy that. I'm, I'm going to buy those two. I think I think they're in it for the long run. Perfect. I'm rooting for them as well. 
two crazy kids. All right, Joe, uh, moving on to my buy or sell. Um, football's back. You know why football's back? Because, because not I, only are teams in camp, and you just covered a practice. like you Just said. got off the practice field of the Huskers day and one. Can't wait for that Husker report coming up soon. But I could have it for you. I know you can. I'll get to that. <laughs> I was on the, uh, you know, looking over some – uh, some futures, possible futures bets in college football and the NFL. Seeing what, uh, seeing what the Irish are at to win the national championship. I'm not going to be taking that bet. Uh, <laughs> but stumbled across, stumbled across the first uh, college football game lines. Those are okay. those are coming out here. Stanford okay. and Rice open up the year in Australia. Stanford's a 31 and a half point favorite. Joe, you buying or silent Stanford? At 31 well, and a half. First of all, before I buy or sell, I have to suggest that you seek. Some serious help if you're already looking at game Joe, lines. Football is back. Football's back. So is your gambling problem. I'm gonna sell Stanford. Um, I gotta look at it. I gotta see what the travel plans are. Thirty-one and a half is a big number, especially traveling to Australia. You're gonna lose a day there. Guys, internal clocks are gonna be off. I think Rice hangs around in the first half. Stanford ends up winning it by three scores, but I think thirty-one and a half is about a field goal too big of a number to wet my beak on that one, and that is based in no facts. Yeah, I think, I, I think I'm think i with you. I, I also have no facts about the Rice football team. I kind of forgot okay. they existed until I saw that line. But, well, you know, Stan, Stanford's without Christian McCaffrey. They, their quarterback situation is still a little bit in flux at the moment. Stanford's never really that team that really blows out anybody that much, are they? That, except for Iowa and that Rose Bowl. They don't They've really a, seem to run up scores yes. or have that explosive offense that's going to drop 48 points or whatever. And that, it is that, that's not who they are. You know, they play between the tackles. They try and play stout defense. That's what they do. They control the ball. They control the clock. And if you can get a couple three and outs and then Rice can, you know, get out there and put together a couple drives, that, that really just drains the clock. And then, like you said, it's hard to get to that 31.5 points even if you're pitching a shutout on the defensive side. So we're so we're officially selling, and I'm going to take Rice at 31. Put a, put a saw buck on Rice for me. You know what we can do is we can huh. use the jar, the aforementioned jar that I'm not allowed to say the name for, uh-huh. um, and we can take the money from that, and I can invest it in betting and turn it into more, and then we can okay. donate it somewhere. I suggested charity... You want to... Oh, I want to turn it into more for charity. You want to put it on rice, getting 31 and a half week one in Australia. Yeah, you we'll can talk like, about you, it. You can double the cash, Joe. Don't you want to give double <laughs> the money to charity? We'll talk about it. Okay, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we go to it. <laughs> All right, Matt. Well, that was Buy or Sell here for the Moose and Runes podcast, week 14. Thank you for listening. As always, follow us on Twitter. Send us those mailbag questions. Like us on iTunes, subscribe, do whatever you need to do. Leave a five-star rating. Leave a five-star rating and uh, leave a comment. Let us know what you think. There's, there's a couple comments. Lo- we have about three comments now. All of them we very love, nice. We love the input. We love the input. And uh, Matt, do we have uh, any mailbag questions for us today? We do not have a mailbag question today. Uh, usually, okay. usually start looking for that, uh, that question listeners, right about now. Listeners, I'm um, looking at you. I know yes. we threw you a curveball with the Sunday recording, but... Well, I think I'll, I'll, no, I'll wear that. Usually I, I start asking around right about now during the day, and we're recording now instead of me being able to ask. So we, we avoided okay. the mailbag this week. We're, we're getting you – know, we'll, we'll get back to it. Okay. I also well, – Matt- um, I know I had an assignment, but you started the podcast early, so I wasn't able to get to it. So. No, that's not – so, oh, you were planning on watching Godfather today? Yeah, Sunday. What else do you do on Sundays? Sit on the couch and watch fair. TV. Matt, you're getting a – an extra one week reprieve, actually one week and one day 
uh, a programming note here. Next week's Moose and Runes podcast going to come your way on a Tuesday rather than a Monday. We're working around, as I said, my travel schedule here. I am getting my first week off in over a year and a half. Usually my trips home are much more abbreviated. Uh, we're getting a seven-day trip, Matt, and uh, I'm putting my feet up. I'm checking out. Well, maybe maybe if you're around a couple of days, you find a you find a you know three four hour stretch to hit eighteen with uh, with your podcast partner. Uh, Matt, I'd love to do that. I already got three rounds on the books, but uh, oh, that's, fourth, no, that's fine. Yeah, just I'm, but I'm a, a fourth four uh, a fourth no. would be uh, a fourth would be much appreciated. Trying to see everybody. No, that's fine. I, I, I see where <laughs> I, I rank in your life. Don't Joe. make that's it okay. personal. It's okay, already one, personal. One of the rounds is with my mother. Another yeah, one of them's one. up at the lake. And Monday is a uh, a five man round. Okay, so we we, we got uh, a high stakes round coming tomorrow. Why not some add cash, a six? Then have two, three, some cash on the line. Some cash. Right. I'll I'll run it by. I'll Tell run you it what, by the you room. you win the cash, then you you throw that into the the jar. That'll go into the the or my, jar. or my jar. Okay, my that's a promise. That's a promise. Okay. Matt, uh, you want I've to rambled shut enough here. Yeah, I, I've, I've done enough rambling. So why don't I uh, ramble just a little bit longer here and shut ramble it? Ramble on, my friend. Ramble on. Shut it down. Shut it all down. Shut it down. Shut it down. Houston, we have shut down. I've seen enough. Shut it down. Okay, well, I don't, uh, again, have the exact numbers in front of me, but there was another CTE football concussion-related release this week, I believe. 99 out of 100 uh, brains examined of the former NFL players were found to have at least symptoms of CT, if not having the, the disease itself. But uh, there's a lot of football people and, and uh, hardos, for lack of a better term, meatballs, whatever you want to call them, but coming out saying the game is, is under under attack and that people are trying to you know, kill the sport of football. And I, I don't think that's the case at all. Um, I think studies like this are great for football. Um, Granted, they might scare some people off a little bit, but the sport's already going to be doing that. Uh, it's a violent game, and people are going to be scared by that. But this is just another way to try and make football as safe as humanly possible. And it, it's a contact sport. It is very dang- it is dangerous to play. And I wouldn't say very dangerous, but there's a lot of risk involved. And I, I think studies like this that we've seen in the past, Grant, I'm not sure what new information we learned from this. I think there have been a lot of similar ones. But knowing what you're getting into, knowing the risks involved, and knowing how to protect yourself from those risks as best you can is never a bad thing. And while the numbers in football may be shrinking a little bit, I think stuff like this is good for the game because in the long term for the people playing the game, for guys like us, Joe, I mean, from when we started playing football early in our lives to when we ended in college, I think that the technology was improved tenfold. And if we keep making those strides and, and making football safer and safer, I think we'll get to a day where football isn't considered that dangerous of a game anymore. Matt, I, I love everything you just said. And, you know, for, for someone who has strapped it up and played the game and has incurred a couple serious head injuries, I'm very happy to see these studies. And I know that doesn't make much sense, but the first thing you have to do before you can change anything, before you can make it safer, is you have to educate yourself, you have to educate your players, and it seems like that's something they're trying to do. Will football ever be a safe sport? No. But they will continually make it safer and it will continue to be enjoyable and we continue to enjoy our Sundays, our Saturdays, and our Fridays, and I'm most worried about those Fridays. Keep the high schoolers safe, keep the peewee kids safe, don't have them going head-to-head every single day. It's about the education. It's about knowing how to hit. And I really feel like, as you said, they're taking steps in the right direction. I'm really happy to see that just for the game as a whole. Yeah, and I, 
we are taking steps in the right direction, I think. I think football's becoming, like you said, it's never going to be a completely, you know, safe game, but no contact sport ever be. Hockey will never be. Basketball will never be totally safe. No sport ever will be. I mean, even baseball was. Robbie Ray just took a line drive off the head the other night. So, so no sport comes without its risks. So occupational hazards. I And I've always said that what football gave me so outweighed anything that it took from me. I learned more from the game of football off the field with the people that I played with than I have ever learned in any classroom or anywhere else. I learned how to work in a group, work as a team. I learned what it meant to lead. I learned what it meant to love someone outside of your family just as you love someone inside of your family. I learned what it meant to be a man, to grow, to be safe. I learned what it meant to work hard. All of those things the game gave me, maybe it dinged me up a couple times, but as long as I says, as I say, as long as we are learning, that probably wasn't a good, uh, that wasn't a good commercial there. You were so girl. close, Joe, so close. <laughs> maybe edit me out there for, for the sake of CTE. No, we're going to keep no, that Matt. But Matt, as I said, as long as we are moving in the right direction, I'm really happy to see those things. Yeah, and you couldn't have said it any better without the little grammar mishap there. It um, it, the the lessons that both of us have learned from football throughout, you know, our, our years playing it, especially you know when you get older, you learn to be accountable for yourself. You learn time management skills. You learn to be on you know on time to places. It's it, it it's it's lessons that I will take with me from you know here on out that that I. I don't want to say I didn't learn anything in classrooms because I obviously did, but those life lessons I learned, I think I hold much more valuable than, you know, learning how to you know do algebra and solve for X and Y. Yep. And that's well, Matt, my meatball it, comment about math. It uh, and math's never been my strong suit. Math either, is so. hard, Joe. It is, and, and it will continue to be hard. Football's a hard game, but uh, you get out there, and it always came easier to me than uh, than X, Y, and Z, as you said. I was I was more I was more concerned with uh, the X position, the Y position, and the Z position in football. Ooh, that that was, was good. That was good. Crispy. And on that That's note, a good note we're going to we we're going to close the Moose and Runes podcast here in week fourteen. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. As always, like, subscribe, comment. We love you guys. We're going to see you next Tuesday, whatever that date is, for week fifteen. The Moose and Runes Podcast, signing off for Matt Rooney. I'm Joe Musso. Enjoy your week. May God give you for every storm a rainbow, for every tear a smile, for every care a promise, and a blessing in each trial. I swear I've seen a lot of stuff in my life, but that was awesome. <laughs>